Moving to 16 members, okay? Texas and Oklahoma being a part of it. You now look at how the SEC is structured. 11 of the top 20, technically, depending on what list you use, 11 of the top 20, quote, brands are now under the Southeastern Conference umbrella. Hello, welcome to Always College Football. Today is Monday, February 13th. Hope you guys are having an excellent start to the month of February. What a Super Bowl it was. We're not going to discuss it here. There are so many different avenues where you can get Super Bowl coverage and you can check out what the thoughts were. I thought it was defensive holding, I might add. I don't care what time of the game it was, so hit me up in the comments. You can disagree. So he's a quarterback. Of course he's going to say that. Yeah, okay, he tugged his jersey. Just ask James Bradbury. He admitted to it after the fact. So now that we've discussed the Super Bowl in its entirety, congratulations to the Chiefs. Congratulations to Patrick Mahomes. You are already... If you retire today, a Hall of Famer. That's all we need to say about the Super Bowl right here because it's always college football. I'm Greg McElroy. Glad to be with you. Hope everything is going good in the college football world for you. A lot of news and notes that we need to get to today. Most notably, Oklahoma and Texas officially leaving the Big 12 for the SEC a year early, one year prior to their grant of rights being up in 2024. We'll hit that story from every possible angle. We'll hit it from Oklahoma's angle, from Texas's angle, from the Big 12's angle, from the SEC's angle, from the network's angle, and we'll hit it from the Pac-12's angle. I'll explain how they could potentially create some issues out West and why some things might be going down behind the scenes that I want you to be aware of. We'll also talk a little bit about a very controversial contract coming out of the Big Ten, one that many people have rolled their eyes about and have cited nepotism. I'll explain in just a bit. And there was an excellent hire made over the weekend that you might not know a whole lot about, but when you look down in the stats, you're going to be very impressed with what Miami did just a few days ago. So let's not waste any additional time. OU and Texas to the SEC. Let's talk about it. That essay that you definitely started weeks before the deadline and not the night before might be easier with some late night snacks. DoorDash can help get you the snacks and the energy drinks you need to get you through that all-nighter. Get the back-to-school savings you really want and get unlimited free DoorDash delivery with DashPass. Just $4.99 a month for students. How worth it? So worth it. For a limited time, our listeners can get 50% off up to a $20 value and $0 delivery fees when you download the DoorDash app and enter code ALWAYS. That's 50% off up to a $20 value and $0 delivery fees when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code ALWAYS. Don't forget, that's code ALWAYS for 50% off up to a $20 value and $0 delivery fees with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. 
Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Okay, big news coming out late last week. Oklahoma and Texas officially deciding to leave the Big 12 a year early. July 1st of 2024, they will officially enter into the Southeastern Conference. Now, a lot of different angles to which we need to go about this. Are we going to get into whether or not Texas and Oklahoma are going to be successful year one? A little bit, but not a ton. Going to talk a little bit bigger picture about what this means for the college football landscape, okay? First and foremost, let's talk about the SEC. Moving to 16 members. Okay, Texas and Oklahoma being a part of it. You now look at how the SEC is structured. 11 of the top 20, technically, depending on what list you use, 11 of the top 20, quote, brands are now under the Southeastern Conference umbrella. What does that mean? I don't know, because really look at it. I mean, you still have massive brands in the Big Ten, still have massive brands in the ACC, and you still have massive brands out West. Currently, I think, with both Oregon and with Washington. So I think when you look at the brands and the profitability, like everybody has different rankings. But if you look at just key metrics, according to different sources across the board, the SEC has about half of some of the top teams in college football, which is remarkable. Texas and Oklahoma, people have always kind of shot holes in Texas. They've always been good. But have they ever really, truly been elite? Yeah, I mean, fair enough. They're also a massive, massive fan base, a massive school in a state that is football crazy and a place while they might not have a ton of national championships. You look at the 10 win seasons that they've had in my lifetime as a 34 year old. Few teams have been able to rival that success, especially there in the mid 2000s all the way up until the early 2010s. So either way, Texas and Oklahoma, we know what Oklahoma's done, national championship bursts. Granted, haven't won one in a while, haven't had playoff success up to this point, but everyone's hoping that that changes here under the leadership of Brent Venables. SEC, couple questions that need to be asked right now of Commissioner Greg Sankey when addressing exactly what this means for the future of the league. One, what does scheduling look like? That's the first thing that needs to get ironed out right now. You now add two teams. Currently, there are divisions, the East and the West. You add two teams from the West. Do you keep them? Do you slide Bama and Auburn over to the East and then just cut it in half? No, because Missouri is West of both Alabama and Auburn, and they're in the East. Like To me, you can't do geographical divisions anymore. In the SEC, it makes the most sense because there isn't a discrepancy in talent. There's a ton of talent on the eastern seaboard down into Florida. There's also a ton of talent from Texas to Louisiana and to the state of Mississippi. So it's not like the Big Ten where most of the talent is coming from one particular region. It's more, I think, spread out than most of the other leagues. Either way, I don't think geographical divisions make sense anymore. Not in the era of the 12-team playoff format. Got to scrap divisions. You just have to. And I know that some people have said, well, why? I like the traditional rivalries. I don't need to be told who my rivals are. I know at this point, after 120 years of college football consumption, I know which teams I hate. I don't need to be told which teams I dislike. Okay, so divisions 
We can get away with that. At one point, yes, it made sense, especially starting in 1992 with the conference championship game to have an Eastern Division winner and a Western Division winner. They face off in the conference championship game. We don't need that anymore. We have polls. And to be honest with you, there have been such lopsided championship games in recent years. I don't want to see divisions anywhere. That's in the SEC, the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big Ten. I don't want divisions anymore whatsoever. Why? Because there's some years, a la, say, the Big Ten East in recent years, where the Big Ten East has dominated, completely dominated that league for the better part of a decade. The last time a Western team won was 10 years ago, back in 2012. So I don't want to see divisions anymore. I want to see the top two teams play on the biggest game, on the biggest possible stage for the conference crown. If that's a rematch, so be it. I just don't care. I want the conference championships to mean something, especially when taking into account the winner of that conference championship game is likely going to get a bye into the college football playoff second round and saves you a game, right? So I want to see the top two teams from every league play on championship Saturday. So scrap divisions, SEC, when adding these two new teams. The next thing we got to figure out in the SEC, are they going to go with an eight-game conference schedule or are they going to go with a nine-game conference schedule? The eight-game schedule looks like this. You have one permanent rival, and then you have seven that rotate out on an annual basis, meaning that every four years, you will make a trip to every single team in the league. That's a great situation because if you listen to what Greg Sankey said in recent weeks, one of the biggest issues with the current scheduling model is that you have situations like Texas A&M and Georgia, where Georgia has yet, A&M's been in the league since 2012, Georgia has yet to play a game in College Station. That can't happen anymore. So if you're going to add the two teams, scrap divisions, you're going to play eight conference games, you have to have the one permanent rival and seven teams that rotate out. So every four years, you make at least one trip to every single stadium in your league. That's the eight-game conference model. That's how many games they play right now. And I think it's an archaic way of scheduling. Yes, in a 12-team expanded playoff format, the likelihood of a three-loss team getting into the playoff is increasingly high. Right now, in a four-team playoff, you have to have one or zero losses to make it in. So I can understand the SEC and the ACC, for that matter, protecting themselves a little bit and saying, hey, we'll play eight conference games. They're still going to let in our champion. So why would we change if we're getting rewarded, regardless of what our current scheduling format looks like? But in the 12-team model, it doesn't matter. Create the best environment. Create the best matchup on a week-to-week -week basis. And more often than not, the best matchup is going to be within the conference. Yes, I love non-conference games too. But ultimately, if we can substitute out Austin P in favor of South Carolina, I'm going to be totally in favor of that. No disrespect to Austin P whatsoever, but they've been on a few SEC schedules in recent years, and I don't want to see it anymore. I want to see a nine-game conference schedule in the SEC. And the way you format that, you get three permanent crossover opponents. So meaning if you're Alabama, using them as an example, personally, I would like to see Alabama play Auburn. I'd like to see Alabama play Tennessee. And then I'd like to see Alabama play LSU. 
Those would be the three permanent rivals. And then the other six games rotate in and out on a year-to-year basis. So just like in the one plus seven model, you're still playing every single team at their place and they come to your place every four years. I think the three plus six model makes sense. Now the drawbacks of the three plus six is that everyone's going to disagree with who their rivals are. Simple as that. People are going to say, well, if you're Auburn, well, we want Georgia, we want Bama, and who's the third team? Do we take... LSU, because that's been a pretty big rivalry for a while. Well, if you're LSU, who are your rivals? Since A&M's been in the league, that's been the team you've played in the Thanksgiving game. You got the boot against Arkansas, but I just paired you with Alabama and with Auburn. And by the way, Ole Miss, pretty big rival of LSU. So there's going to be a lot of controversy with who your three permanent rivals are, but ultimately we'll get over it. Just give us the three plus six model so we can get nine conference games. And that should be across the board too. I want to see nine conference games everywhere because when evaluating teams in this 12-team playoff system, we should reward strength of schedule if the teams are somewhat indecipherable because we're going to be choosing against a bunch of teams that all have a bunch of flaws and a bunch of stub toes along the way throughout their 12-game schedule. So that's where the SEC is at right now. They got to figure out what they are going to do from a conference scheduling standpoint. Let's talk about Texas and Oklahoma. Why is it important for them to get in to the league right now? It's going to cost them nine figures. It's going to cost them an awful lot of money to get out a year early from their grant of rights deal. But it felt like a lame duck situation. You felt like you were twisting in the wind. When are we going to go? When are we not going to go? Now you have clarity. And if you think for a second... Recruits don't gravitate towards the SEC in the logo, on the jersey, on the patch. You're crazy. Why do I know that? Because Tom Herman told me that himself when he was the head coach at the University of Texas. He said, man, I'm so annoyed. I'm driving me crazy that Texas A&M, when they send out their recruiting paraphernalia, there's not even an Aggie logo on it. There's just a gigantic circle with the letters SEC, and the recruits are responding to that logo. It hurt them on the trail significantly. Now you can get rid of that. You could say, hey, 2024, we're going in. Maybe there's a recruit or two that really aspires to play in the SEC that will now consider Texas and Oklahoma. This might be by way of transfer. This might be by way of high school recruiting. It doesn't matter. But there might be a guy out there or two that really want to play in the SEC. Now, Texas and Oklahoma are both going to be legitimate candidates for that specific prospect. Another thing that's beneficial, I think, for Texas and Oklahoma, obviously the revenues that are going to be generated are going to go through the roof. You look at the audience that was captivated last year when Alabama went to Texas. That was probably, and I've been going to Longhorn games for a long time, that was probably as chaotic of an environment as I've ever seen in Darrell Royal Stadium probably as crazy as I've seen there in the heart of Texas because Bama was in town. Now, Bama's going to be in town at least once every four years, depending on how things set up from a scheduling standpoint. So I think it's really beneficial as far as the lineup that they're going to get in their home stadium and the home games that they're going to be able to present to their season ticket holders and to their fans. And then finally, you get to immediately reestablish some rivalries. 
more so for Texas than for Oklahoma. Oklahoma is obviously abandoning a significant rival, and I hate that this will be the last year that we get Bedlam. It makes me sick. I hate that. But at the same time, man, you look at what Oklahoma's picking up. Missouri, they used to play each other when they were in the Big Eight. I mean, there's a little bit of a rivalry built in right there. Either way, Oklahoma does abandon a rival, but they do get a stronger home slate to offer their fans. Texas, on the other hand, you bring back Texas and Arkansas. Massive Southwest Conference rivalry. You bring back the games against Texas A&M, which of course means so much to me as a kid growing up in the state of Texas to know that the Aggies and the Longhorns were playing each other on Thanksgiving night was something I looked forward to every single year of my childhood. So I'm glad to know that that rivalry will be renewed. So rivalries get reestablished with the move. That's also a benefit for Texas and Oklahoma. Let's move to the benefits for the Big 12. Now, a lot of people are going to say, how does this help the Big 12? Does it, is it beneficial? Is it, is, it, is it good? You now look at the brands that currently occupy the Big 12. Great teams. I think great places to play. People that love football. I think it's a highly competitive league, not just in 23, but in 24 and beyond. You're going to have great football that's being played in the Big 12. So you're wondering, when you lose Texas and Oklahoma, why is that a good thing for the Big 12? Well, you get clarity. You finally figure out what your league is going to look like in the years to come. And the thing that I love most about the Big 12, now they can go get aggressive if they want to consider adding another team or two. And my thing about the Big 12 too, and we'll talk about this a little bit more down the road. Y'all saw reports this past weekend about SMU interacting with some members of the Pac-12. So the Pac-12 reaching out to SMU, gauging interest, seeing whether or not they might be a fit if the Pac-12 were to expand. Well, why would the Big 12 allow that to go down? I know TCU is not going to love having SMU in the league, but if I'm the Big 12, now that Texas and Oklahoma are gone, guess what I'm doing? I'm going on the offensive. I'm going out. I'm adding more teams because I believe if you're the Big 12, there is strength in numbers. You already added four high-quality high quality programs in BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston. But why stop there? If I'm them, I'm continuing to push on. I want to add SMU. I want to add Tulane. I want to add Memphis. I want to add East Carolina. I want to add USF. I want to add more teams. As I put that umbrella over the central and Midwestern and Southeastern portion of the United States, I want to add more. And now that I know that Texas and Oklahoma are on their way out, maybe I can get aggressive and go try to do some of that. Brent Yormark also acknowledged too, here's another benefit to this. I referenced the lame duck situation. It's never good for anybody, right? It's never good for anybody. So if a great prospect, let's use baseball as an analogy. Or, I mean, any sport that really operates with a hard trade deadline. Baseball is probably the best example. I can get rid of a superstar, get him off my payroll before he cashes in in exchange for some great prospects, right? Like when Mookie Betts, and I'm a Dodger fan, when Mookie Betts left the Boston Red Sox, it's because he was in the final year or two of his contract and they weren't 
guaranteed that he was going to be able to resign. So what did they do? They traded him and got a bounty of picks and players to be named later and guys that were highly thought of in the Dodgers farm system to replenish Mookie Betts' absence. That's exactly what was going on for Texas and Oklahoma. They were going to walk on July 1st of 2025 for free. Or you can get some compensation and allow them out just a little bit earlier. I think this was a great, great job from Brent Yormark in getting a deal done and making sure that they got a little bit in return knowing that the exit was imminent. How does it affect the networks? Obviously, ESPN is going to own the content exclusively for the SEC for the foreseeable future starting in 2024. But how does this affect Fox, who ultimately had a portion of the of the Big 12 rights over the last handful of years? Yeah, they weren't happy about Texas and Oklahoma, two teams that are big brands. They're going to post big numbers. Fox had the game last year between Alabama and Texas, did a monster rating. Yes, so they're not thrilled to see those two teams leave the league. But now, like we just referenced in favor of the Big 12, Fox is going to get some compensation more than likely, whether it's additional inventory or whether it's actual financial compensation. They're going to be benefited as well from Texas and Oklahoma ultimately leaving the Big 12 a year early. So that's all the different things that we're going to talk about there. Hit it from every possible angle. Finally, we'll finish it with this. Can Texas and Oklahoma compete like Texas A&M did and Missouri did when they first got in the league? That's a big question that a lot of people are going to be wondering. Remember, Missouri gets in the league and a couple years later, they win the SEC East not once but twice. Texas A&M jumps in the league and this guy named Johnny Football comes in and takes the league by storm, scoring a million points and putting together some of the most exciting football we've seen in the SEC in quite a while. Can they be immediately successful? I'd say, why not? Now, I think it's going to be really tough. I think it's going to be really challenging. The league is a real line of scrimmage league. And the strengths of both Texas and Oklahoma haven't exactly in recent years resided along both lines of scrimmage. But if you look at what Oklahoma's done as far as recruiting is concerned, you look at how Texas has attacked those places as well. They clearly know what they're up against. So they're at least fortifying the areas that they need to come a long way in in an effort to be more competitive. I don't see either one being super competitive in year one, year two, year three. But I do think come year four, year five, year six, they'll fit right in. Because Texas and Oklahoma, they've won in the past. I think they'll win in the future, regardless of what league they're in. Macro, you mentioned a lot about the schedule. Uh, the SEC notoriously releases their schedule about a year ahead of time in September. Do you think they'll do that again this year with so much on the line, or do you think they'll wait? As I've talked about for years, I wish the SEC wouldn't do that. I understand they do so for you know, brides of the Southeast, for people's plans to make sure that they can go and book travel so everybody can make sure that they have their calendar set for their team's games each and every Saturday. So I understand why they do it, but I don't love it. I'm hoping that the schedule release gets pushed back a little bit to say, I don't know, maybe the second week of February, and we can have a whole show built around schedule releases. We, of course, did one just a few days ago about the Big 12 2023 schedule release. So I'm hoping that this changes the behavior for conference scheduling 
in the future. And we don't get that release right in the heart of September when we're talking about the current season, which is just underway. So I don't like it being buried there in September. I want it to be in February or March when people are kind of starved for college football content. So I'm hoping, Coops, that this adjusts things for the future and it's something that we keep permanent down the road. You and me both. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, a couple news and notes from the weekend. Some big moves being made in Southern Florida. That's right, Coral Gables. All right, the Miami Hurricanes have officially found a new defensive coordinator. Of course, Kevin Steele left for Alabama. They also saw Charlie Strong walk. As well, he's leaving the program. So they had a notable hole there on the defensive side of the football. And boy, did they make a great hire in my eyes. A lot of people are unfamiliar with who Lance Goudry is. This guy's the real deal. If you're unfamiliar, take five minutes. All right, take five minutes just to study up on his past. The guy's been all over the place. He's been at McNeese, at Southeast Louisiana. He's been at Marshall. He has great relationships with so many great defensive coaches, including Jay Bateman, who was formerly at Army in North Carolina. I mean, he's been around. I mean, this guy has been around some great coaches. Jim Levitt, he was with him at FAU for a little bit. So this is a guy that has been an up-and-comer here in recent years after spending a long time at the high school ranks there in the great state of Louisiana. But if you want to know who this guy was, most recently, he was at Marshall. You're probably sitting there thinking, Marshall, okay, you know, I mean, good team. Like, I, I, maybe you didn't watch Marshall this year. Maybe you didn't spend a lot of time watching Marshall this year, but they've been a little bit of an off-season study for me. And this guy throws conventional wisdom out the window. <laughs> he is awesome. You look at some of their personnel groupings that he's used in recent years. There were times when he's got four defensive ends on the field and seven defensive backs. That's right. That's a real personnel grouping that they used at Marshall last season. There have been times when they've run two, four, five defense as well. Two defensive linemen, four linebackers, five defensive backs. The guy mixes a lot of personnel, but if you really watch and study him, the guys that he coaches play with relentless effort. And when you evaluate defensive coaches, I always evaluate effort probably more than anything else. Sure, do I evaluate being gap sound? 
Do I evaluate making sure that they're really sound as far as leveraging the football is concerned in the run game? Yeah, absolutely. Are guys busting coverages? Of course. You're looking at all those things, but what I look for above all else is effort. And if you watch the guys and how hard they played for Marshall last year, you'll know that Lance Goodry knows how to get to the guys' motivational levels. All right. He's been around, man. And this is actually this is a quote that I got from The Athletic. Another Sunbelt offensive coordinator described him as this. Quote, I think he does a great job of keeping it simple. He gets into play very fast and very hard, and they were always in the right place. I have a ton of respect for Lance Guidry. I was quite excited to see that he's not going to be at Marshall anymore. End quote. That's from an offensive coordinator in the conference. So it goes to tell you when you're that well-respected amongst your peers, that tells you all you need to know. Defensively, if you need stats to back up whether or not this was a good hire, fine. What's the most important down in football? It's not P and 10. It's not first and goal. It's third down. Right now, getting off the field is the most important down defensively in football. I don't think I need to tell a whole lot of people that, but maybe you disagree. Maybe we have different philosophies. Hit us up. Always CFB. If you disagree, it's fine. But I think third down right now in college football is the most important down. Not sure it's even close. Not only did they have the best third down defense in the country in 2022, they had the stingiest third down defense in the FBS in the last five years. Let me make sure you, you guys read that right. All right. Heard that. The best third down defense in college football in the last five years. And if you want to take it one step further, just one step further, it's actually the second best third down defense in college football in the last two decades. That's how good Marshall was on third down this past year. Notre Dame fans know that. People in the Sun Belt know that. But you, as a college football consumer, might not know that. That they had the second best as far as third down conversion percentage allowed in college football in two decades. 2016 Michigan is the only team that was better. So a great hire for Mario Cristobal. Now the big question remains, can he recruit? All those other aspects, fine. But as far as XO and execution and statistical performance, Lance Gudry is going to do a great job there in Coral Gables with the Hurricanes defense. Moving on to the next story of the weekend. A lot of people making fun of, poking fun at Brian Ferentz's new contract with the Iowa Hawkeyes. A lot of people saying, well, 25 points per game. That It's an incentive-ridden contract where it's all about incentives. And your goal is to score 25 points per game. Just so we're clear, I want to make sure that you understand. 25 points per game would be good for 85th in college football. 130 teams, 25 points per game puts you at 85. Not very good. Not exactly a high bar. But here's where people are missing things with Brian Ferentz. A lot of people are going to be consumed with the nepotism. He can't shake that. His name is his name. His dad is his dad. It's not his fault. Okay? It's not his fault. So I move beyond that aspect of it. But here's what I would say. Look, they are going to incentivize his contract and give him a big bonus if they score 325 points this year. But a lot of people are consumed with that. What I'm focusing on, how many points does his defense give up at the same time? Because a lot of people 
sit here and say, well, man, if, if Iowa could just score, you know, better than 17.7 points per game, like they'd be cooking. They'd win every game. Their defense is phenomenal. Well, why do you think their defense is phenomenal? Because they play complimentary football. And Brian Ferentz is never going to hang his defense out to dry by forcing them to face a hundred or so offensive snaps a game. Because if Brian Ferentz wanted to go spread tempo, guess what that would do? It would lead to his defense not being as stingy at all three levels because they would potentially be exhausted by the time the game rolled around and by the time the season finished out as well. Now, I'm not for incentive-laden contracts like this. And if I'm going to set the bar, I'm going to set it at least higher than 85th in the country. So I disagree with all of that. But I think Brian Ferentz's sole goal should be to win football games. And I want very badly, very badly, to see them become a little bit more creative as far as their offensive sets are concerned. You can still be ground and pound. You can still be a team that controls the football. You can still be a team that shortens the game. But what you can't be is vanilla with less than stellar personnel compared to what you've had in the past. There's not a Robert Gallery on that team last year. There was not a Tyler Lindenbaum on that team last year. There was not a Sean Green in the backfield on that team last year. And there certainly wasn't a Drew Tate at quarterback or, Brian, or Brad Banks or anyone like that. Like the personnel is not what it once was, which means you can't just run the ball down everyone's throat and make them like it. You have to be willing to adapt. So I'm hoping here in 2023, Iowa, like Wisconsin already did. Remember what Wisconsin did? They hired Luke Fickle and they went out and they got Phil Longo because they recognized you can't win consistently the way they've won for the last two decades doing it the way they've done it. You have to adapt. You have to change. You have to modernize a little bit. I'm not saying you need to completely go up-tempo spread and just start going crazy with the amount of plays that you're running offensively. But there needs to be some nuance to the things that they're doing moving forward. And I really believe this might happen here in 2023. Why do I believe that? Because I have faith in people, I suppose. All right, final thought. Just want to say happy retirement to Harry Heinstead. You're probably wondering, all right, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly who, who that is. He's the offensive line coach for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And he has been in the game for 40 years. All right, he's one of the best offensive line coaches in America. And anybody that's ever played, anyone that's ever been around an offensive line meeting room knows that that's probably the hardest room to control. Those guys are nuts. All they do is jab at each other. All they do is make fun of each other. But I tell you what, if you're an outsider and you make fun of them, you better be ready to throw some hands because offensive line guys are different, man. Love those guys and love the coaches that are able to bring out the best in them. And if you look at what Harry Heinstead's done over the course of his tenure, tells you all you need to know, all the success he's had, all the players he's groomed, all the people he's elevated. It tells you all you need to know about his legacy and his career. What an incredible run. And that'll put... That'll close the book on the Brian Kelly era in South Bend. All right, Marcus Freeman's now completely in charge because there's no holdovers from the previous regime. This is Marcus Freeman's show moving forward. So best of luck to the Irish and best of luck to Harry Heinstead in your retirement. You've earned it, that's for sure. If you can deal with an offensive line meeting room for 40 years, you've earned a nice, long, lucrative 
retirement. That'll do it for us here on a Monday edition of Always Call It Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. You can continue to follow the show even when we're away at Always CFB on both Instagram and on Twitter. You can also email the show. We have tons of questions pouring in the last couple of days. We appreciate those. We're sorting through them. We will continue to get to your questions in future episodes. Don't worry. Your questions are not being passed over. We're taking the best ones and we're adding them to the rundown here in future days. So continue sending those in. Always college football at gmail.com. That'll do it for us here. We really, really appreciate you being with us. We hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl, but it's college football offseason time, man. Focus stays here at Always College Football. For all of us here, for Jack, for Jake, I'm Greg and Mark too. We appreciate you so much. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.